0: Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, Mother-Daughter Team, Dr. Gloria, and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation, with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio.
1: Well, Heidi, would you like to
0: introduce our guest today? Sure, I'd be honored to. Our guest today is Dr. Nancy Rosenblatt and our topic is Finding Meaning After a Brother Dies of a Drug Overdose. Dr. Nancy Rosenblatt is a licensed psychologist in private practice in Northern California's Artemis Center for Girls. She is a part-time professor at University of San Francisco's school counseling program and has been an educator for over 30 years. Nancy continues to serve as a school-based consultant specializing in services for high-risk youth. Nancy's world was turned upside down when her older brother, Stephen, died of a drug overdose. As a bereaved sibling, Nancy faced little support after her loss and found purpose and meaning again through devoting her life to helping others who had faced adversity. In being of service to others, Nancy has found resiliency, healing, and peace. Welcome to the show, Nancy.
2: Thank you. I'm really glad I can get on this show and, and talk to you guys.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you
1: on. I wanted to ask you a little bit about your brother. How long has it been since he died?
2: It's been over 25 years, actually. hmm
0: which I love, don't you, Heidi, because we get that perspective. Right, we get the perspective of where someone is 25 years later. Yep, We
1: and, mm-hmm. and we will also go back to where you've come from also. Right. Tell us a little bit about Stephen and the circumstances around his death.
2: Well, he was my older brother of uh, two years, and um, probably since he hit his early adolescence, he had um, a lot of issues around his own self-esteem and belongingness, connection, those kinds of things. And... Um, didn't feel comfortable, I guess, in his own skin, so he started getting into trouble, and part of that trouble started involving using different substances. And um, and I was telling Heidi also the, uh, the thing that I wish I knew more about than that I do today was I believe there was a lot of mental health stuff that he was wrestling with. And
1: um, And how old were you and how old was he when all this was happening?
2: Well... He was like 13, I was 11,
1: Mm -hmm.
2: um, and so 20 years of his life, uh, it was 20 years later that he passed away, and um, so I think all of it was spiraling into, and and as he became an adult, he did have good periods um, where he was very productive, and I don't know about happy, but he was feeling but there were times where he was uh, he was making contributions in his life.
0: And, Nancy, you said um, earlier with me that in hindsight you felt like he had, he probably suffered from bipolar depression. Is that...
2: Right. That actually, when, when he passed away, there was, uh, um, we talked to the coroner, and that was one of the things that, when I say we, my mother and I, uh, came, it came out that he had been um, seeing somebody behind being, they, they said manic depress, pre, mm-hmm. manic depressive back then. But they were treating him with Valium oh, as wow. the medication, so it was totally inappropriate. And um, I think a lot of his use was always trying to self-regulate and self-medicate through that.
1: Mm-hmm. So uh, how did, was he alone when he died? How did he die, and, and what was he taking, and what were the circumstances around it?
2: Well, see, th- this is the interesting part, because the way my mother and I um, found out was through um, a lady friend that he was with that... Um, we had never met. My brother li- lived f- somewhat of a private life and kept a lot of this away from the family. But um, they were actually enjoying one another's company. And he had—he um, they- was drinking some wine and not paying attention that he had already taken some sedatives. Mm-hmm. And it-, it was just a bad mixture at the time. But this is a person who had taken a lot of substances and probably didn't even know that it could be a lethal comp. Combination, or that he—it wasn't actually there was an attempt on his life. It was, you know, just what happened when he was actually having a um, a nice social time with his lady friend. Uh-huh.
0: And, which, uh, which we're seeing a lot in the media now, Nancy. Yeah, you're hearing a lot of stories about people that are having taking prescription medication, combining it with other prescription medication, and drinking and having death. You know, dying basically. Right. Accidentally.
2: Yep, and it happened very quickly. She said, um, and surprised surprised her because she didn't even really get what was happening to him. Unfortunate part for her also is she had already lost, uh, I believe, a husband before my when she hooked up with my brother. So it was a double whammy for her.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, what about? Did you find any stigma around this? The fact that he, ta- you know, that he had overdosed, even mm-hmm. though it was accidental.
2: Well, I think that. Even today, it's hard for people to talk about um, death through a drug overdose. I think it's gotten a little better, but um, people even today, as we did then, talked about he had an accident.
0: So so initially, Nancy, when, when people would ask your family, how did Stephen die, what was your response? He died in an accident or of an accident? or?
2: Um, I said, yeah, he had an accident. These uh-huh. are people mostly that I didn't know well. Right. Um, and and it's kind of the way my family's response was mm-hmm. generally. But as I became more um informed and comfortable in and depending on who I was talking with, I talked more about his substance use and how it led to his demise.
1: Well, it, it it's kind of a, <clears throat> a strange thing because if we talk about um the need to tell your story uh, when you say it 's an accident, it really cuts it off doesn 't it
2: yeah and 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 why should we talk about it like that because um, this is something that we can do a lot more with in, in terms of prevention and intervention
0: mm-hmm. and
2: so we 're not helping other people when we just because accidents there's 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 no control over right but if we look at it as um, you, you, you know, what it was, which was a, a drug overdose, we can talk more readily, especially with young people, about what they're doing and what what they can change.
0: And like you're saying, yes, you can your story educates the world and hopefully prevents someone else from, you know, going down this road.
2: Exactly. I mean, you know, I really missed, I'm going to tell you guys, I really missed having an older brother mm-hmm. um, because when we were young, Um, And he got in so much trouble. He was away a lot, and so I was losing him that way. And then when he got um, into more of his adult life, he actually became more dependent on me and other family members to take care of him. So I really missed having an older brother in all ways around because he was never available that way.
0: So in a sense, it was a double loss.
2: I lost him a long time ago, way before he died.
0: Now, tell us about those treatment
1: programs he went into. When did you first remember him leaving? Is that what it was, treatment programs? Well, no, programs he actually
2: got in trouble as a juvenile and ended up in uh, detention first for... Back then it was like stealing cars and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, doing th- th- things that um, ended. he ended up in the system. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in terms of... He never ran... Rent- that I know about went into any kind of drug treatment program. It was always, his, all his behaviors ended up becoming criminalized, so he ended mm-hmm. up institutionalized through incarceration. And, um, oh, you know, when, when he was a juvenile, they send the, the boys to, uh, to camp, a little higher level than the detention center. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was that kind of thing. So he would come in and out of juvenile justice first.
1: And so you feel like you lost him at that time, and and you lost your normal family, right? Or, right. And then
2: you? I was so excited. I remember um, he he was a senior in high school. He was going to come home and, and end up gra- graduating from the high school. I was just so excited that he was home. Mm-hmm. And then, um, uh, and then when he got in trouble again as an adult, I was the family member that would always be called upon to go visit him and. Um, you know, it was awful going to see your brother in jail.
0: It, it sounds really stressful. Yeah. Now, were you a therapist then?
2: No, I was a teacher, mm-hmm. and I was working with young people, um, and, uh, but I always kind of knew in my, you know, I was always had that kind of counseling style when I was working with young people, and it was always this need to help other people. I was a teacher, and I was being called constantly by my family, you know, what was going on with my brother, and even when he wasn't incarcerated but a different you know go, go here he's here he needs this and and I and I felt like um everything that I was doing was not helping and it was but they in turn they termed back then that whole enabling thing the whole dependency codependency behaviors of all of us and I was talking to one of my uncles my favorite uncle actually and he had been through a lot with his own um own son, in substance use, and other people. And he said to me that the best thing that I could do would be not to respond to, to him and to the other family members as, as the go-to person. And so basically the year before my brother died, I, was, I had no contact, and, and um, it was difficult. It was very difficult to keep that kind of presence because that wasn't me. I was always, you know, thinking that what I was doing was helping. And then when he died, it was awful because I felt like I didn't do anything and I in fact I had turned my back on him. And so it took me a long time to work through that that kind of guilt that would come anyway with grief and um
1: yeah, talk a, bit, a little bit about how you did that, because I know we've got people out there who have done the same thing, who who have had um, family members who have created so many problems. They've basically done something to turn their back on them, as you said, and 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 they're dealing with it right now. It's been maybe only months. Yeah. What would you say to them?
2: Well, I I would I, I would tell them that it isn't really turning your back. Mm-hmm. It is. It, I would re- help them reframe it to, like, is what you were doing before, was that working? And if not, you've got to do something different. Also for your own self-care. And it's not selfish. It really is about, you're not helping the person in need. There's other people to do that. If you're going to do something, maybe that's get them the right resources, the proper help. And um, if you can't, and, and, and you have to take care of yourself, too, in the process.
1: What do you do after they die to take care of yourself with that
0: guilt? And, and Yeah, and to move and, through the guilt. I mean, how did you get through it?
1: Um,
2: I think I went back to that uncle, and and I talked to not only him about how, how that was, I was experiencing that. I talked to other family members. I talked to very...
1: What, what would you say to them?
2: Um, I would tell them that I was feeling like um, I wasn't there for him
1: mm-hmm. and I
2: shouldn't have done that. Um, because I was always there, and mm-hmm. I did I felt like I I said something about you know I did it all wrong I messed it up he probably so kind of self blame mm-hmm. he might even be alive if I had done it differently and they reminded me well you know before what you were doing it didn't it didn't what well, he wasn't doing anything it didn't change his behavior.
1: Mm-hmm. So so what you would suggest to people is that they go to people that they feel are supportive to them and tell them how they feel.
2: Exactly. And it doesn't. It, it can be family, friends. It can be mental health professionals. It can be support groups. But mm-hmm. just even like these shows that you guys have to talk about the real feelings and how do you get through them and, and, and helping people. I, I just keep going to that reframing the thought process.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, Nancy, so it sounds like you loved him so much that in order to help him you you didn't come to his aid and rescue because you loved him and you wanted him to get better
1: right how about any anger did you feel anger towards him for the way it screwed up your early life
2: mm-hmm. um yeah and i actually think i still have that but it's because you don't real especially when i'm working with other kids family mm-hmm. and their families and i see a similar kind of Situation, and I see what it does to the other siblings because a lot of the attention by the parents goes to trying to fix this kid. Mm-hmm. You know, they they're doing the same things that I was doing, trying to make it better, and the other siblings lose lose the attention of the parents, and they lo- and so they're not getting their own self worth developed. So I look back and I see. So I guess I, I do blame him in certain ways about my own development, but then I have to look at what did I do in terms of my own resiliency to develop into a healthy person.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, did you ever write anything to him or say anything to him, or you know?
2: Oh yeah, I, I um, the, the one of the things that's been very helpful for me I'm, um, is being having a spiritual. Um, Background and and my Judaism allows me to celebrate and talk with him and and he was uh, cremated and his ashes were flown over the ocean and so
1: that's
0: nice
2: yeah every year not only lighting candles but I go out to the to the beach and and it's not just every year I mean I have conversations all the time in my head with him about you know. Uh, different things, especially when I come across these these kinds of kids mm-hmm. that he was much like. And I'll say stuff like, "Check that out, Steve. How that person is. You know what we need to do to to, to, to help this person."
1: Mm-hmm. So you actually brought him in as a helping person for you. That's yes. what I'm
0: thinking. You yes. guys are kind of collaborating as you help others now, other at-risk children, right? Yes. So, one of the things that comes up for
1: me is that there are parents out there, many parents who are worried about the siblings of their child who was um an acting out child and uh died or whatever, and they worry, will these kids ever be normal and uh, there you are, yeah, out there even using him as part of your as your of your life
2: right and there's always that question that people ask why you know other people in the same exact family are more resilient mm-hmm. or ha- are resilient where somebody is not and mm-hmm. you know so so that's a that's a, that's a good question but it's also kind of like what happens too in families is people respond differently to different stimuli. Yeah
0: because it's interesting because you and your other brother did not act out to get the attention. It was the one brother that was acting out.
2: Yeah and um, had, had different temperament, had different relationships with our he didn't have a um, positive relationship with my father, mm-hmm. and I and think that was uh, detrimental
1: also. I want to get into that when we uh, come back from break in a, in a minute. Uh, I'd like to talk a little bit about um, being really good for your parents after a child dies. or You know, we just find so many times, and I've talked a lot about it on the show, uh, about how you have to be good and and you really your own grief is interrupted? is that how I'd put it hiding yeah my
0: and you're taking care of your parents because you're so worried about them
1: yeah, um, that
2: well, we can come back definitely. I don't know if I was doing that, but I that probably was that
1: answer that I'll explain in my relationship to my mother mm-hmm. and uh not honoring your own grief we you know um it's interesting a lot of times we'll have people say um." Gee, I don't know what I'd do without my other children or child. They've really been supportive of me and, uh, sometimes the siblings need maybe to get out and get some support from other folks too. Well, Nancy, before we move on a little bit, we wanted to talk a little bit about the needs of parents as opposed to siblings and how, how it was with you, with your family, uh, when, uh, your brother overdosed. Um, But before we do that, I want to talk a little bit about Nancy. I think the people in Northern California, which I happen to live in San Francisco, but in the Bay Area are very fortunate to have Nancy in their area Mm -hmm. if they have uh, children that they're concerned about. And if you uh, would like to get a hold of Nancy, you can get her through, um, I would suggest probably email is the best way. Mm -hmm. And Nancy, why don't you give him your email?
2: Okay, it's all a lowercase, and it's, Artemis a r t e m i s girls at yahoo.com.
1: okay great so you can get her through there and you can also always email heidi and i through the group blog and we will uh put you in touch with nancy Appreciate uh did you want to give him your web page nancy or
2: yes it's um uh, my name is in lowercase n a n c y r o s e n b l e d t s M-C-P-A.
1: Okay. And, again, you can uh, get in touch with us, and we will shoot that to you if if you can't pick it up yourself. So, Nancy, when we went to break, we were talking a a little bit about um, the needs of parents as opposed to siblings. We want to talk about that a little bit. Did you feel, were you able to really, were you trying to take care of your parents? Like, Heidi, and I see a lot of that happen. And I think Heidi probably tried to take care of me, right, Heidi?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I remember when my when Scott died. I was I was so in so much pain because I could see what my parents were going through that I remember deciding that I was going to be the one. I don't know if you remember this. I was going to be the one that was going to call everybody and tell them that my brother died. And I took my parents' phone book and went through and called all their friends because I didn't want them to have to do that. So I mean, it's things like that that we do for our parents. Yeah so they won't have to deal with it. And I do remember that,
1: but I think you've reminded me of that before, too, and I don't think I remembered before you reminded me because you're in such shock.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. I remember Cheryl Ballard, one of our friends, saying, wow, Heidi's really stepping up and, like, taking over here. She's kind of t- taking care of the family now. But as the oldest child, it just felt very natural, and you just want to protect your parents from further pain.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think um, I there was so much shame around this... Pe- my brother's death in terms of how he died and how he was living his life actually mm-hmm. that this one thing that my mother as well as other people said I didn't I still to this day do not find um, I, I didn't agree with and I or I don't really understand know about it but that whole thing about well he's in a better place now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because of the kind of life he was leading there's an assumption that um Life after death has got to be better than the kind of life that he had, and and I don't know that, but mm-hmm. I also don't know that his life had to continue. If, if he was to continue to live, we we also are making another assumption that it would have gone on the same way it was going mm-hmm. without any kind of intervent, uh, proper interventions. I don't think so. It, it could have changed because he was thirty three when he died, and that's still a young person.
0: It is. He definitely could have, like you said. Gotten more mature, gotten into the right programs, and changed his, the course of his life. Right. Um,
2: so I.
0: And you still love him. I mean, right. goodness. Oh and yeah. Have
2: hope.
1: Her. Always hope for people.
2: Always mm-hmm. hope. Um, I think um, that I didn't try to rescue my parents only when I, I actually had a very very close relationship with my grandmother who who. Um, I I don't know, that was the person that I was very tight with, and though she became, she turned on on blaming my parents for my brother's death, and that's when I became protective of my parents, Mm -hmm. that I didn't think it was about any one thing that anybody did, except for what my brother ended up doing. I mean, you know, relationships are all different for different people, and so... To say, because they didn't have a good relationship or because they had a great relationship, you know, it isn't about, that contributes to a person's life, but it doesn't cause them to do what they're doing. Okay,
1: so here I am out there and I'm saying, wow, that's exactly what's happened to me. My uh, grandmother is blaming my parents or somebody, my uncle's blaming them or my parents are blaming each other. What kind of advice do you have for people where that's happening? Um, and they're a sibling. I know you work with adolescents, so what if you've got an adolescent there who's involved in that family? And you
2: know the, the kids get blamed all the time for anything that's going on with the parents, or they mm-hmm. feel blamed, or that they did something wrong. And I just really put it out there to, to to them and talk to them very openly about that they're not responsible for what other people do or other people's relationships, you know. And I make it really, really clear and help them look at that and, you know, I actually, you know, have them look at where's the, I'm very kind of behavioral, so I'm looking at, okay, what are your thoughts and your feelings behind this? Where's the evidence that that's true? And then they ended up disputing.
1: So, okay, so what about you? What did you say to your grandma and what did you do?
2: Uh, um, It probably caused the biggest break or change in our relationship um, because I didn't like that behavior and and I said, you know... That's not okay for her to talk about them that way and um and I was and yeah it, it really it it really did cause a rift between us, which was really too bad because she um ended her life with us not being as close as we had been through my whole life with her
0: mm-hmm. and and, and you know people have to remember too that Stephen had a disease, he had the disease of addiction as well as bipolar. So, I mean, a lot of these things were out of his control. He needed to get help, too, and it was nobody's fault. He had a disease. Well, and there's so much
2: not, um, there's so much that's not being, people are not being educated. That's the other thing I would uh, talk to families about is helping inform them, educate them around these mental health issues as, as well as substance and and increase their understanding so they're they're not saying those kinds of things. Um, about themselves or other people in the family.
1: So if you've got somebody out there um, who's getting blamed or whatever, you might say to them what, uh, you have to realize the circumstances around this um, this addiction. Right. Mm-hmm.
2: It, you know, and I might even ask them what is their understanding of this and help them work through, you know, myths. So
1: education can actually be a piece of this for people even in the grieving process. Oh, yeah. It's
2: part of the healing because you – the the more education you're 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 being able to really understand not only yourself but others as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So, uh, how did your mother and dad respond to this whole thing? You have your your brother didn't get along with your dad. Did you talk to him about it? How how did that all go? Do you see your parents grieving differently? Do you see men yeah. and women grieving differently?
2: Yeah. Well, my mother will tell you that um, there is, and you might relate to this. too, but there isn't a day that goes by that she doesn't think of, of Stephen mm-hmm. as a mom. And she spent, you know, she really did a lot of trying to, uh, in lots of different ways. But she did what a mom does, and there's usually things that aren't, aren't effective. Somebody needs kind of care that she isn't professionally able to do. And my dad disconnected and from having a relationship, really. And um, when my brother did die, my mother told me this, that my father came to her and said, "Uh, at least you can go on knowing that you did everything you could to help him. So my father was feeling that tremendous amount of guilt, I'm sure, because he too had separated in relationship, like I did, but in a different way. He just didn't have the emotional tie, Mm-hmm. And so he didn't, and he, and was very angry at my brother for all of these acting out behaviors and the stress that he placed upon all of us, but especially my mother. And so my brother, at the same time, my father's separation was in protection of my mother.
1: hmm And that's very interesting because uh, we we do see that as uh, a way of uh, them dealing uh, with it. Uh-huh. So that that's kind of tough on the, the whole family too how, how did your how's your father now and your mother and around this it sounds like you talked to your mother about it but maybe not your dad
2: well my dad's passed away but my my mother
1: did they did they stay together
2: oh yeah they 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 were together their whole they stayed married and this there was I have to tell you lots of times that uh, the stuff that my brother was doing this sounds very blaming but a lot of Stuff that he was was putting a lot of rift in their in their marriage, mm-hmm. and um, but they hung together. And um, my mother uh, was not blaming of my father. She would say sometimes that they just never had uh, he, the kind of relationship. I had a very close relationship with my father, so she might say something like, "He just didn't have the same relationship uh, with him as he has with you and my younger brother Dan." my father was close to also. So she might say it that way, but it didn't sound to me so much like a blaming.
0: Now, did your brother ever overdose before he died?
2: Uh, yeah. um, But I only have that information actually through him that he talked to me um, about those times. I never was called uh, by anybody. But in talking to him he would tell me about some of the times where he had overdosed and some of the times he actually admitted he, he believes they were suicide attempts. Mm. That's why there was always this question about if, if that uh, woman that we met that he was with hadn't verified uh, the way he died, if there, that question of whether it was suicidal or not would always been there.
1: What, what would be the difference in your mind if it was suicide?
2: Uh, I I think, uh, you know, that he he, he would... I don't think he would... When he was with her, it wasn't about taking his own life. He was enjoying his life at that point but, or at that moment. Yeah.
1: But what do you think would have been the difference? Do you think there's more stigma around an overdose? Or do you think people... I think some people assume that an overdose is suicidal behavior.
2: Yeah, I think it is. Uh, um, it's a it's a self-destructive behavior. So, you know, either way, they're slowly dying. Um, the way that he was treating himself.
1: Well, either way, there's kind of the stigma, too. And one of the things that I always find concerning about families is that they're trying to figure out whether it was suicide or whether it was accidental. And, you know, some people, times people really work hard at this. And and eventually, I think it doesn't matter how they died. Exactly. We miss them.
2: But it Mm -hmm. took me a long time to get to that understanding, too. (laughs) Because I used to, uh, first I did the whole, it was an accident, then I went to, it was an overdose, then I went to, um, well, we don't know, because it seemed like it wasn't a suicide. And now I say it, he died.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And he mm-hmm. died of a. Um, uh, he had abused substances for a long time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: and But he still died, whatever. And we loved him and, and right. we miss him. And right. it's a piece out of our life. We miss what we felt that he could have been also. His right. I mean, in
0: hearing your life story and in hearing all the emotional roller coaster rides that you've taken over the years, I just realized so much. I understand you so much better. And I realize. How your relationship with Stephen and your life with Stephen ultimately prepared you for your life 's work working with high risk youth mhm,
2: yeah, a lot of it was growing up with a high risk youth mm-hmm. my brother right. and um and I think that I became high risk in lots of ways like we were talking earlier uh, because I had a house uh, I had a very loving close family, but it was all there was also Severe stress, distress, and a lot of conflict in in the family and I was const- it, it, i think that's where my resilience came in because I went mm-hmm. to a lot of pro social uh behaviors and activities to help me get out of that kind of environment and not only in school but in I was in sports I was in theater it was a lot of things I was trying to do to develop me in a positive way, and I think it, in that way it was really contributory to mm-hmm me becoming a leader.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then... So there were some positive aspects to this. Oh, definitely. For you as a person.
2: I, I you don't learned... think was, he sacrificed himself for me. I don't think that. Right,
0: right. But, but you, you learned to help de- coping, good coping skills. You learned how to deal with a crisis. You learned, you, like you said, you developed yourself in other ways outside the family.
2: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I tell young people even today that are having similar issues within their families or just having a lot of conflict in the family that school oh. is the best place. For the, you know, that you can be, it's your ticket to the kind of life that you want to lead. Mm-hmm. And um, you just have to make, you can take control of that. I couldn't take control of what was happening in my family and what was happening with my brother, but I certainly could do something the way that I, you know, did my life. And that's kind of how I, what I really use a lot in terms of of working with young people from my own experience of, uh, of my brother.
0: And I, I think that's important for young people to hear and for their parents to hear. Because mm-hmm. parents are so worried, okay, I've got a child acting out, I've got a child that died of a drug overdose. Will my surviving children, will their lives be destroyed by this? Well, one of the things that um,
1: is, that we didn't touch on, which I think is uh, an interesting point, because we have people who have lost adult siblings, as you have. Do you think there's any difference between losing an adult sibling and a younger child?
2: I think just time, I, because I had more time. In a way, I had more time with him because he, he was an adult. Than he had more time to get mad at him? <laughs> or, you know... Um, but I think the the grief and the loss is of the same magnitude. You know, it's still uh, your sibling, your person that, you know, we we always think about the person that knows you the longest is usually your siblings. Mm-hmm. And, however, when you lose one, it's not that that way. But, you know, that person to me is, I still to this day have, when people ask me how many siblings I have, I still say two brothers mm-hmm. because I can't, explain that he's not... Just because he died, he still he still was my brother. He you is brother. my brother.
0: Absolutely. Do you think that society acknowledges your loss as much as they would if you guys were younger and living in the same house?
2: Um, no, I don't think so, actually, because um, there's more expectation that adults should be able to, you know, handle their lives and do better and cope and all that. You know, it's, it, it's a... But, but, but a kid usually is... It's so much more, more tragic in terms of that was a child mm-hmm. and they didn't get to live their life. And um, I think people are more, they're, they're harsher on adults, especially ones that, like my brother who overdosed, that he sh- he could have had, he had a lot of chances to turn his life around and make it different. So there's more... Um,
0: there's more judgment.
2: There's a lot more judgment.
1: And another thing is, um, I know, Heidi, with the firefighters that you work with, they see their families a lot. They're with them a lot. And and some people, adults, live with their families,
0: you know. They still live with their parents. And, and I just sometimes, don't... Mom, you have more conflictual relationships when you're younger and living under the same roof, and you get to work those things out as an adult. And so your relationship may even be stronger as an adult
1: with your siblings. Mm-hmm. So there are a whole number of ramifications, but I, I really, in talking to adults, don't feel like they get the support because they, when you're younger, you have uh, friends involved in common and that kind of thing, and there's, a, I mean, um, you know, you're just not in places where people say, uh, "How are you doing with your brother's death?" Right.
2: Yeah, and you know, I have to tell you guys that I didn't have that kind of response from anybody, really. Uh, even right after he died. I I think that's another thing that I'd like to tell the listeners is you do need to to respond. And the time to really respond isn't right after necessarily because people go away then. And I think that you need to stay, as as you were saying earlier to the young woman about
1: her boyfriend, you have to stay present in somebody's life and just Mm -hmm. being there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for the folks who've lost a sibling they uh, and an adult they may have to spend a little more energy educating people that they do need to be supported Yes, and and say, "You know my brother just died, and you know that's mm-hmm. why Telling I'm flaky at work or mm-hmm. whatever, or I'm still suffering from that, you know." And reach out and go to groups like Compassionate Friends or whatever Compassionate Friends is very open to sibling groups or maybe find um, some professional support if you're, you know, really feeling very depressed about it. Uh Like you
0: said, they may need to teach people how to be good grief support and let them know what's happened in their lives.
1: Right. And, And I think the other thing is that we'd want to tell our audience out there is you have a right to grieve your adult sibling. Even
0: if they were 80, Mm-hmm. I don't care how old they are. Everyone dies before their time, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. I don't want anyone that I love to leave this earth before me.
2: Yeah, that's a good point, Heidi. Really, yeah. You think about yourself when somebody—that's exactly what death's about. It is is about the living, right? And how much um, they have to continue on with their loss. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I would really emphasize that you're not a, the people. People who lose somebody are not alone, but they might have to do more exploration and look for their resources and, and and get with other at least one other person that really is going to be with them.
1: You know, you were mentioning uh, uh, that you were Jewish, and I was talking to somebody recently whose mother-in-law, his father-in-law died, and the mother-in-law is coming to move by, by them, and uh, that's going to be tough because she's leaving the people she knows, and I said, you know, you really might want to um, suggest to her that she go back to the religion of her childhood, mm-hmm. if that's of interest to her.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, just
1: make it as a suggestion, or w- find some kind of a support network to connect it with, maybe some kind of a, an adult education. Thing or whatever, because you know you can not really get lost out there without people supporting you. Definitely, but they're there if you can if you can get the energy to reach out. That's the problem, you know. You you know you're lacking in energy. You and have like to you
0: said, going to a synagogue or going to a, a cathedral or whatever does give you connection quickly with a lot of people.
1: Mm-hmm. And a lot of people that are understanding and want to help
0: also, and they have the same spiritual beliefs,
2: mm-hmm. right. I, and I think we need to let everybody know too that, especially people like us that are in the helping profession, or just women in general, are, are all caregivers. That it's okay for them to seek help and have and be cared for, and not see, be you know uh, stigmatized as then you're a weak person. No, it's just the opposite.
1: Well, that's for men too, especially because we find our men out there oftentimes don't get the support they need. Yeah. And, and are, are reluctant to, you know, go out and ask for it.
2: Right, very good. So I, I want to emphasize that because I, I, being in this leadership helping role, I remember, uh, that I was supposed to remain strong for not only my family, but, uh, the kids I was working with, the people around me, always like, so, so my grieving couldn't really take place in a, anything but a private way and it was, Isolating, And I'm trying to tell people now that are listening, don't allow that to be for yourself. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. Well, that's a good note to close on. uh, Nancy Rosenblatt, we're so happy to have had you on the show.
2: Oh, thank you very much for having me.
1: Thanks, Nancy. Okay. It's been great having you on. It's time to close our show, and I want to thank Nancy Rosenblatt.
0: You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.